This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And welcome to the Irish Examiner's uh, weekly podcast, Paper Talk Extra. I'm your host, Mike Sheehan, and I'm joined this week by Peter McNamara, Stephen Neville, and Rob McNamara. We're going to start off this week's topic of conversation uh, with Harry Kane, lads. A um, lot of talk about Harry Kane since, he's, since the start of the year. He had, a, he had a poor August, and people were like, geez, typical Harry Kane, he'll, he'll come alive in September. And, and he did, and he absolutely has, and he's been talked about recently as being one of the best strikers on the planet. Um, I suppose, Peter, you're a sports fan. You've been watching Harry Kane over the few years. Has he progressed this year? Has he been at this standard with a while? Is he up there with the best strikers in the world? What What are your thoughts on him? Mikey, he is the best striker in the world. Um, look, on a serious <laughs> note, he is absolutely, I'm genuinely serious, certainly the best Tottenham striker I've ever seen. And he's only going to get better. One thing I would say about him is... Um, his conversion rate from shots could could even improve, which is a scary thought for the opposition players. I was looking at the stats there, and he has a fifty five percent conversion rate from shots taken. So, in, sorry, he has fifty five percent of shots taken out of thirty eight on target. So he's taken thirty eight shots on target in the Premier League, and he's had 38 shots with twenty one on target, so fifty five percent. But that actually is the lowest in terms of the top ten in the top goal scorer list. Would you believe so? Even to be fair to him, he's taken way more shots. I was just about to say he, he yeah. has a tendency of shooting. He shoots a lot. Onside. To be it is yeah, like he's had thir- as a thirty eight shots in Premier League, it with five fifty five percent of those on target, which is twenty one, which is the lowest of the top ten in, in the Premier League. Now bear in mind that the players from two to two to ten have taken less shots, so their conversion rates yeah. or their capacity to be accurate is probably going to be higher. But still, that's a room for improvement. But in fairness to him. There is no doubt that he is a, a remarkable player in the sense that, like where he came from, like for a while it looked like his his star wasn't never going to shine, but that's changed. And it's interesting that even in last week's game at Wembley against Liverpool, 
you had the whole video that I shared on people and I retweeted on Twitter people were talking about it you had Maradona talking to him in before the game and it was kind of funny that Maradona was saying to him like you know try and use your eyes to trick the keeper more don't score to your nerve yes. so much but even the fact that when he came in first Maradona said in his native tongue wow what a goal scorer I mean like if you've Diego Maradona saying that well, what, 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 what high, high praise you're going the right direction anyway yeah uh, lads, but do you agree with Peter that uh, of his high, the way he high, holds Harry Kane in such high esteem? You kind of have to agree with him at this stage because never has a one season wonder produced so many good seasons. <laughs> um, like everyone, ex- I think the the frightening thing is that with each season he's improved, so with each season the expectations grow. But he's he's met all of them really, and I mean. The, I think he had a year time but he, sh- he shoots an awful lot but I think he has a licence to do that from Pochettino because Pochettino you know if Harry Kane takes five shots chances are he's going to score two of them like. so I think he has a licence to do it and I think he gets away with it because his conversion rate is decent um, but you'd have to agree he's probably top two strikers in the Premier League with uh, Sergio Aguero there's no denying his, his ability anymore yeah, I, th- I think it's probably just a little bit disingenuous to him to just you know describe him as a goal scorer. I think there are other aspects to his play. I think his link-up play has improved an awful lot um, in the last couple of years. Um, he's strong as well, you know. He's he's really after you know beefing up his his physique. Uh, he obviously spends a lot of time in in in, in the gym. There was a, a passage of play there last week against Liverpool where he didn't score, but he created a chance for himself out of sheer determination um, he got past you know three or four Liverpool players and absolutely bounced off him and took a shot and it just narrowly went wide but you know I think from a technical aspect he makes runs that other strikers probably don't see um, he, he's always he's always on the he end works the channel as well. he works very the channels very well and but but he's all he's always on the end of a chance or close to being on the end of a chance when, when it arises in the box um, I don't know. Is he the England captain at the moment? Yes, yeah. yeah, like I mean, his attitude is absolutely superb. You know, there's no tattoos, no flash cars, no, no controversy. You know, um, he really is a player that can go on and become. He could, he could possibly break Shearer's record if he keeps on going the way he's going. I, 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 was, I was actually going to get to that. Like Harry Kane is in a better goal-scoring form than Shearer was at that um, age. He has his full career ahead of him. Would look you'd obviously want him to stay at Spurs, but can you see him being tempted by Madrid or Spain, or is is Spurs where he's going to stay, Pete? I've had this discussion with a lot of people over the last for a year and a half, and my stance remains the same. That I honestly do believe that if he does go, it won't be for a few years. First of all, mm. if he does it all, and I honestly do believe, and I know people might. So this has just been taught in a bias but really isn't because in my opinion the supporters of their own clubs and other clubs are better than anyone else and I honestly believe he'll be the next center share in terms of not just in terms of goal scoring but in terms of his loyalty to the club I would be stunned if if he leaves it definitely won't be to another English club uh, even though I know Rob yeah. I'm going to say Man United yeah. straight away, but I would be absolutely stunned like for the record I, no way because if there's any, if he'll go anywhere, it'll be Madrid, I would imagine, because of the connection between the club, which is as pathetic as it gets, in my opinion. But yeah. there is that kind of random connection that Daniel Levy has struck up, struck up, and um, it would be there he would go. 
I don't think that will happen anytime soon. I really don't think that. Plus, well, people seem to need to factor in as well where Tottenham are at the moment because they have this new state-of-the-art training facility which is considered one of the best in Europe. The stadium is coming on board now. But the wages, I know, I know people, the lads are on the other side of the board are waiting to hammer <laughs> the wage structure. I have no doubt about that. When the match day revenue goes up uh, from next season on, the way it did at the Emirates and all these other clubs, the wage structure will then change and then Harry will be on more money, a lot more money now. Whether he'll be on the kind of money that I know that he could probably get somewhere else is another debate, but he will definitely, the wage structure will change. There will not be a cap in the wages, I would believe. If there is, I would be absolutely stunned. And I know for a fact that the fans in England, in London particularly, if there is, if the cap is retained, that there will be mutiny in terms of Daniel. I kind of take your I kind of agree that I can see him staying staying at Spurs, but on the basis that they keep playing as well as they do play. Pochettino yeah. keeps the team going. Like if he doesn't win the Premier League in the next two years, I, I, I can see him yeah. moving completely because every player wants to win the Premier League. I mean, he doesn't want to look back. Like it, it would be great if he, he looked back and he'd have had oh, an incredible career. But who wants to look like you don't want to look back at your year, all your years of playing fresh football and have won nothing? No trophies, like yeah. like he, he hasn't won anything major yet. So if Spurs don't kick on and start challenging for the Premier League consistently, which they're doing now, but they need to be winning it, they need to be challenging in, in Europe, I think, for Harry Kane to stay there. I mean, because every, every team in the country, every team in Europe would, would take Harry Kane off of Spurs' hands. And I think if someone like Real Madrid did turn their gaze toward Harry Kane, it's very difficult to turn it down because, I mean, you're going to be challenging for Champions Leagues year in, year out. One, one thing you have to bear in mind about players like this guy as well, right, is that because he's not technically that outstanding, he's not, right? But who are you compare like, when you say technically... Well, like, in, in, like in, the, in, the, in the sense that he's not going to take a player on and burn him for skill. That's not in his locker. It's just not there. But he, he will take, take players on, though. He can't take free kicks. Wolf will let him. So that's another thing that's, that hurts him, right? So the thing is, he's getting so many goals at Tottenham at the moment, primarily for one reason. The whole team revolves around what he does. How often have we seen players move to other clubs where they're no longer the biggest fish the in the smaller pond and they don't have as half of an impact? I hope, do you know what? Because he's done so much for Tottenham, if he did move on to Madrid or something, I would hope he wins every trophy in the world. But I would say that Harry Kane has proven time and time again that when people doubt him, he tends to only get bigger and better. So, I mean, he, I think he'd be able to take that pressure on his shoulders of being a, a smallish fish in a bigger pond. Can I interject here for two seconds? <laughs> no, I, I just want to make a point that I think, first of all, I think Spurs are perfectly positioned, and I've said this to you before, Pete, to be a top trophy winning English club um, who will compete in Europe over the next few years especially with the stadium that they're going to have um, if they change the wage structure I know Daniel Levy is kind of you know being put out there as, as, as kind of being a little bit cheap in terms of what he pays players but um, I think I really think that Spurs could go on to become a club that wins the Premier League um, there's speculation as well that Gareth Bale wants to come back to Spurs. I mean, he's offers from all over the place. City and United are both looking at him, but Spurs, he's, it seems to be that he wants to spend the next couple of years at Real Madrid and then return to Spurs and, and finish his career there. Um, you know, I, I think Harry Kane would 
really really benefit from from playing with with Gareth Bale again. Um, in terms of breaking Shearer's record, I know there, Pete, that you said he doesn't have the, the range of goals possibly that Shearer would have had. He can't take free kicks. Um, doesn't score a whole lot of goals from outside the box. Um, but what age is he? Twenty. Twenty-four. You know, there's 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 room for improvement there. If he if he if he, I might be I might sound like I'm nitpicking there, but I'm just saying like you know if we're talking about he he's talking about wanting to become Messi level or Ronaldo level, he he does need to keep on improving. Like I mean, he he there are elements of his game he needs to improve. I touched on the fact that he's not going to get to that level, but he could get close. Of course, yeah. No, I'm, I'm just being realistic. I'm just saying like in my opinion, on real top song, you'd say, would you agree that Suarez, in my opinion, or we said Suarez and Neymar, would just be behind Messi or Ronaldo? Like, if he wanted to get to, we said, that level, he has to add one or two little tricks to us, because I think if he stays as he is, or I don't know, it's it's very hard to say, because he's banging and goes for fun, but like, he, if you watch him really closely, I'm surprised that some defenders haven't figured out how to play him yet. Because he does the same thing more or less all of the time. The only thing, the one thing he has in his favour over most other strikers is he's both footed. So that that's a massive plus. Like he's not over length on one leg. But he is. If you're watching him all the time, like you watch United all the time, whatever. So you see, you see both sides. You see kind of chinks, and he should really be at this stage. Be there should be defenders in the league know how to mark him. But great strikers always great strikers always find a way. He's evolving and he's an amazing player. I'm just saying, he there's another five percent there. That's what I'm saying that he could find. Look, look at look at um, people on Zaggy. I mean, like he wasn't technically the best striker in the, in the world, but he scored bag loads of goals. Mario Gomez, another guy who you think defenders would figure out how to play against him, but again scored bag loads of goals like so I mean great strikers will always find a way and if Harry Kane can work on his game for the next you know three or four years and continue to improve then he's going to get close to Shearer's record he'll definitely beat Andy Cole anyway in my opinion I'd actually agree fully with that Robin I'd even take it to Van Nistelrooy when he was at United he scored 149 goals 148 of them inside in the box so you're kind of thinking how come over time defenders just didn't suss Rude Van Nistelrooy in the box let's keep a very very close eye on him Never did. He was a prolific goal scorer throughout his career with being just a fox in the box. Inzaghi being the other perfect example for that. Uh, used to live offside, you know, but one out of every five would happen and he, he wouldn't miss. You know, I, th- I think the consensus here, lads, is that he could get to the top level, but he's just not there yet. A few things to, ch- to kind of iron out over the next maybe year or two. I think he's under the right manager in, in Pochettino at Spurs. I think what he has done coaching-wise uh, for Kane has been immense and, and for the Spurs team and squad um, but the consensus are we all agreement that he's just off the top level at the moment but not far off it getting there getting there B plus <laughs> <laughs> ok lads while we're on Harry Kane I think one goal over the weekend um, just sticks in my mind I, I wouldn't mind discussing it and, and the, the further ramifications of it was that first goal against Liverpool uh, last Sunday in Wembley um, absolutely terrible defending terrible defending from Lovren he got slated he was taken off uh, look he had a bad day he's after a few bad days I think his confidence is knocked but I think knocked is a bit yeah <laughs> I know he's going through a, a, a bad patch uh, and it's, it's hard for someone like Lovren who was the star at Southampton um, in the defence that uh, I think it was was he with Pochettino at the time 
you know he he looked like a real decent purchase for Liverpool at the time um, but more so the act of defending as a as a total and I know Rob you have some very strong views on this and, and, and like if you watch that game at um, Wembley last weekend I, I would say let's say for Liverpool's goal for Salah's goal I, I would have thought Loris even was small bit at fault usually a great keeper coming off the line didn't judge it right um, and just Liverpool's defending and for the entire game was just nothing short of substandard if you ask me for a top premiership club um, what are your thoughts on it and what you've seen so far this season I can't figure out how Jurgen Klopp has not um, addressed this situation at Liverpool um, I think they've conceded you know uh, what is it you know 15 goals away from home at the moment I think it might even be more I'm not, I'm not too sure but a ridiculous amount anyway um, the goal the first goal when Lovren went towards um, went toward, went toward the player and it bounced over his head and, and Harry Kane went in to score the goal I mean that was absolutely criminal defending you don't you, you, you don't you don't step out when the ball is coming at you from a height that's like a basic rule of defending you don't step out you drop back you um, make sure you protect your line. Um, Liverpool don't seem to be able to figure out between the two centre-backs who's going to go for the ball and who's going to drop in behind, which is a basic rule of any defensive um, partnership. I mean, it's just it's the way it, it, always, it has always worked. I think football, I think football goes in trends. And if, if you look back to the, the, you know, the 90s when Italian football was, um, was dominating, it was this um, Catenaccio... System, you know, mm-hmm. where everything was based around the defense. You know, the Rigo Sacchi, Fabio Capello, those great Milan sides. You know, they gave away, you know, very, very few goals because um, everything started from the back and securing that back line and making sure that you didn't leak goals. And they conceded very, very few goals. In recent years, you know, the game has turned towards the high press hasn't evolved it's evolved yeah it's evolved and there will always be trends I mean you know you go back to the 1940s and 1950s when they used to play you know five six attackers on the pitch you know four two four you know it was was crazy kind of stuff like but you know now the game has has changed again and I suppose Barcelona were the pioneers of it in terms of the high press and four three three system but there are some managers out there that don't appear to be able to set teams up to defend. And it just, you know, it, it destroys their chances of winning trophies. And, you know, as a Man United fan, I find it hilarious that Liverpool can't figure this out. But at the same time, I'm looking at this guy thinking, you know, he's, he's, he's the manager of a top club and he can't figure out how to get the personnel that he has. I mean, these are professional footballers. These are professional footballers that shouldn't be making mistakes like that. It was absolutely ridiculous and Liverpool's defending in general is is absolutely comical and you look at it and you think you know is it is it just bad decision making or is it is it bad organization you know in terms of the management and you know look Linder, Victor Lindelof you know he made a terrible mistake against Huddersfield as well at, at the weekend yeah. but I think that was down to nerves I don't think that was down to organization you know he didn't start the game was in tough conditions. Phil Jones came off. He was, you know, thrown into the into the fire. The ball was coming at him from a height, and he didn't really know what to do with it. And United conceded a goal as a result. I think that was because of nerves. No professional footballers probably shouldn't be nervous yeah, yeah. in those kind of situations. They're paid vast amounts of money. You're supposed to have a strong mentality. But that was an isolated incident. For Liverpool, it's happening 
week and week and week and week. And I think, to be honest, I think the art of defending in the Premier League is gone to a certain extent. I mean, every week there seems to be some sort of an incident that you look at it and you go, how is that happening to professional footballers? Like, I really do feel but like... Are we, are, we, are we being too tough on the Premiership? Does that not happen at the top leagues? If you went to watch the Spanish League over the weekend or the German League over the weekend or the Italian League, those type of mistakes have been made consistently. Like, you know, is it just because the game has evolved into a more attacking-based game that there's more pressure now on the back four. The back fours aren't the best footballers. Uh, They're usually bigger lugs of players um, that don't have the ability to, let's say, turn as fast or get back or rectify their mistakes as fast. And when you have skillful attacking players coming at them more consistently and in in droves and in waves, that more mistakes are going to happen as a result of volume more so than anything else. Listen, the most important thing for a back four or back three is that they have to play in unison Um, you have to have guys who are able to organise guys who are able to shout point at players who are out of position point at players that aren't marking and basically organise those things when you're defending and indeed when your side is attacking up the other side of the pitch um, Real Madrid have it with Ramos Varane uh, and and Pepe as well Um, Barcelona don't really they don't really fall into that category because they play such a high press the defender comes from the front line rather than, than than the back but if you're going to play that system you have to be good at it you know and that's the the system that Liverpool plays the high press the gegen pressing you know which you know people would dispute as to where it originated from is it Johan Cruyff kind of a thing or did it originate in Germany yeah. um so if you're going to play that system then you have to be good at it and Liverpool are not good at that system and come here, Steve. I'll take you to Liverpool. Like I, I always find that like it's the defending should start in the the opposite end of the field. It should start with your strikers chasing down balls. It should start with your attacking midfielders. It then should come back and your your two guys sitting as a bank in front of your defensive four. Liverpool's problems seem to be emanating emanating from set pieces. For example, they can't defend set pieces. Now that has nothing to do with the, the way the team is set up. That is just basic organisation and structure in the box for a corner kick. Every time Liverpool concede a corner, I think most opposition teams are rubbing their hands. There's an opportunity here. I think it's it's a combination of Liverpool need to work more on and like the coaching needs to be better for the defending and the organisation on the pitch. They're kind of lacking a. Or a leader who will show the people who will just roar at people into position like they're missing a Jamie Carragher or a Steven Gerrard or a, a Sammy Hippie going back but, but they, they were there uh, and I suppose this is slightly going off piece. They, they were in that Liverpool team they were all in that same Liverpool team but yet they were they, they never had any success yeah, but I think part of that comes into coaching as well because you know they, Liverpool for a while did the zone marking which was a bit of a disaster uh, and even now with their whole organisation thing it's, I think it stems from the training ground I mean you can see that something isn't working so you need to do look back at everything to see where to fix it I mean the example I always find with David Luiz when he was first into Chelsea he was almost a he was he was he was a bit of a he was he was a joke really as a defender and yes, everyone absolutely. kind of said he was the PlayStation player yeah. absolutely he was a pure FIFA yeah. FIFA defender who's good at the ball and he played from the back in FIFA but then last year when Chelsea resigned him Antonio Conte's turned him into a, a world beater almost as a centre half I mean that Chelsea when Antonio Conte switched to a three man defence of Chelsea 
after the Arsenal defeat last year, I mean, Chelsea looked uh, Chelsea looked unbelievable. They, yeah. it, it looked like no one was going to be able to score against them for for a long period of time. So I think it 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 that's a huge thing. It comes down to coaching and playing, finding the best formation for your team. Because Chelsea had Gary Cahill and David Luiz, neither of them who were very good in a defensive two as part of a back four but with a defensive three with someone like Azpilicueta in the mix they become an awful lot more solid If you look at, at Liverpool in the last 15 years the closest they came to winning the championship was under Rafa Benitez in 2009 Absolutely yeah. um, The reason the, the reason that they mounted a title challenge is because they conceded very very few goals I mean um, if you look at his career, you know, when he was at Valencia and he broke that duopoly of Real Madrid and Barcelona, again, very good in defence. His Newcastle side now, at the moment, conceding very, very few goals. Not scoring a great amount of goals either, but, you know, they're solid defensively. Um, Liverpool don't have that now. It's, it's, it's just, it just seems to be that Jorgen Klopp either doesn't know how he's going to sort it out, or is refusing to do so uh, out of sheer stubbornness. Yeah, and I, was, I, was, I think we're going to finish off on this point on, on Liverpool as a, as a club and where they're actually going with Klopp. Because they're not going to win the league this year. Um, they're, look, they're well down the pecking order in Europe. I'd be very surprised. Quarterfinal, semi-final would be a great success. Um, and I don't see it with his transfer policy and his style of play that that'll actually change much over the next year or two. I, I take Liverpool fans can't, must be getting kind of itchy feet about the whole Jurgen Klopp thing at this stage. I, I think he still has a bit of grace to go because he does. He has that kind of charm and charisma about him, and I think people want him to do well. So I think he still has a small bit of grace period. I think if, it was, if he was an unlikable manager. He'd almost have he'd got the chop at this stage, but like what he needs to do in January is he needs to sign a couple of defenders and a new new centre midfielder. I know they have Keisha coming in, yeah. but they they really need more than just one Keisha. They need to sign a couple of defenders, and even if they're not guaranteed starters, if they have kind of sort of squad defenders, I mean, if they get decent squad defenders, they'll probably be better than what's there at the moment. Mm. So I think he needs to, they need to invest. Yeah, and just to close out on that, lads, if you if you were in charge of Liverpool and you're giving Klopp the, the checkbook to go out and buy a centre half that would actually or two wh- what type of player who are you kind of looking at that, they, that is out there that would actually improve Liverpool and possibly make them into title challengers because when their front four get going they're unstoppable um, it, don't, it won't take a whole pile if you bring Kate into the midfield along with what they already have uh, Henderson plays very well for Liverpool um, you know what type of player or who, who is out there that Klopp could actually open the checkbook to and say is it Van Dijk you know, is he the answer? Because Van Dijk is Van Dijk is clearly is clearly the guy that they want, um, and he probably will come in eventually. There was some controversy last summer in terms of signing him and the, the approaches that that Liverpool made. But if I was FSG, the Liverpool owners, I'd be saying to Klopp, we need to see a major improvement in the de- in the defending that we'll with the personnel that you have yeah. before we give you any more money. Because for me, it's it's not so much. It is a personnel problem in terms of in terms of quality, but these guys are professional footballers. Like, I mean, they're playing in the Premier League. If they're deemed good enough to be playing in the Premier League, then you know they have to do the business. I think Liverpool as a club, if you go back to the nineteen eighties when they were dominant, they always had a succession plan. Um, 
then when Kenny Daglish went, dropped the bombshell, Graham Souness came in, there was no succession plan there and Liverpool took their eye off the ball commercially off the pitch, fell behind in terms of revenue. The 90s were an absolute disaster for them and now they've, you know, the American owners took over in, in the 2000s and then eventually FSG came in and they, they want this whole money ball kind of a situation. Um, and there isn't a plan at Liverpool. There doesn't seem to be any kind of um, any kind of master plan to push the club because it is a massive club but there doesn't seem to be any sort of master plan to make them Premier League contenders never mind Champions League contenders yeah fair point fair point um, ok lads while, while we're going to we've already written uh, Spurs completely off today and now Liverpool um, I just want to get your quick thoughts on um, maybe from here until Christmas is, is there anyone like Man City have now opened up a five point gap to Spurs and United uh, just very quickly um, can you see anyone stopping them and I'm looking for a quick 20 second response here I, I can't Rob said last week on the podcast that he thinks there's a bit of a glean about them at the moment because they're they're lovely style of play but I think when they're all guns firing they're, no one's going to be able to keep up with them Listen, things are not going well at United at the moment. The whole Mourinho, you know, flirting with PSG thing, and there's reports that you know morale is very low at the training ground and all that. But that's just co- that just comes after defeat. It's pure speculation. Um, it was a bad defeat. The attitude was bad. Um, but Man City will have a difficult period as well, and I think United will capitalise on that. So I'm not saying I'm not saying that United are going to win the title outright, but I don't think it'll be a coronation for City like people think it will be. Okay, so to close off on this week's podcast, we're going to have a quick chat about the period of mourning in Munster this week for the loss of Simon Zebo at the end of the season. And um, I suppose looking at it. Um, it seems to be it seems to be a decision that Zebo was always going to make at some stage in his career. Um, is that how you'd read it as well, Steve? Absolutely. Yeah, he always kind of he always spoke about it playing playing abroad, and I think I think it would really suit him. I think he's going to be a huge success. Yeah. In France, but I kind of just surprised the timing of it because he's still young. And he's still kind of reaching that stage of his career. Where he's peaking, so I'm surprised he didn't stay at Munster for another two years, eighteen months, playing the World Cup. And then head off to France because I mean I don't think two years would have meant that the the big teams That's in France stopped yeah. looking at him. They still would have wanted him because he's a he's a sort of a flair player. Is, yeah. I think Munster and Ireland are really going to miss that, especially Munster because when he when the ball when when the when the ball goes through the hands out the back and it comes to Zebo whether he's at fifteen or he's on the wing. There's kind of an air of excitement, like Zebo had the what to go and do. Zebo Earls, like, isn't it like? Yeah, know. there's a real bit of excitement every time they touch the ball, and I think Munster are going to usually miss that because they they have some great backs who are very good at carrying the ball hard and carrying yeah. straight, but they seem to have a lack of players who can twist the game in its head with a piece of magic, and that's the sort of thing that can can, can turn games and win you games and will get you to the finals and semi-finals. Yeah, and, and he's, over the last two years, uh, he's after adding a, an awful lot of strings to his bows. His defensive work is out, outrageous at this Absolutely. stage. Absolutely. Right I mean, he's, he's turned into a... He's turned into almost as good a, a fullback as he's a winger, and that's all yeah. down to his defensive work. When he first came on the scene, yes, he was great going forward, and yes, he was a, a phenomenal try scorer, but the, the big crutch that he had was everyone said defensively he's not good enough. Yeah. But now you would have no fear of him 
making a last, no. last last ditch tackle, last man tackle, saving a try. I mean, you'd almost you you wouldn't put your put your house in it. Yeah. But I mean, you'd be confident he'd make a make the make the tackle. No, I agree with that. Like he, his finishing was never in question. He was always a brilliant finisher, close to the line. But um, it was always his defensive. He kind of Joe Schmidt recognised that. He left him out of a few squads. He left him out of a few teams. But Zebo worked very hard in his defensive work and is now would have nearly been number one starting for Ireland. Absolutely, and I think Ireland, it, it's an interesting case for Ireland because it looks like he's not going to be selected yeah, in squads going forward. This is an interesting, and this is the, the point of the discussion. Like, it, it really looks like there's a lot of talk to saying he won't be picked for Ireland when he does go. Now, he, he's with Munster up until the end of the season, which brings him to the end of Six Nations, but we have a World Cup coming up. Um, where do you see, or where would you stand in that position, considering Johnny Sexton was picked when he was with Racing for the Irish squad? The, the interesting thing is that Johnny Sexton was so important, and still is so important still to the Ireland team, yeah. that Ireland's whole game plan under, under, under Joe Schmidt and previous managers has hinged on that Murray Sexton nine ten axis because there's there are two world class players, yeah, yeah. but I think with Zebo it could be slightly different because Ireland do have quality at fullback and on the wing. I mean you have uh, Joey Carberry at Leinster, you have mm-hmm. Keith Earls, you have Andrew Trimble, um, you have a few players coming up the ranks at Leinster in the academy who are performing at the moment. Burn, for example. Yeah, right? absolutely. You have Jacob Stockdale in Ulster. You have Andrew yeah. Conway in Munster. And then as well, you have Darren Sweetenham and Alex Wotton, who who aren't quite at the at the international level yet, but they look like they could make that jump. And given the style of player that Joe Schmidt plays, the flair player, the flair ta- qualities of Zebo were never quite seen as much because of the way Ireland played. So yeah, because it's such a structured game structured plan. But I do that. think having a player like Zebo is important to a team because even if he doesn't start a game for Ireland, bringing him off the bench if you're yeah. looking for someone to affect change in a the line game, break. A line break, anything to give the team a G up and get the team going. I think it could be, uh, I think it would be a loss if Aaron didn't have him in their squads. At least, at least consider taking him on, the, on, on tournaments. I, I, I would fully agree with you. Now, that, that's a decision. I think Joe Smith was announcing his squad for the Autumn Internationals uh, today, uh, over this next few days. Um, so it'll be interesting. He'll be questioned on the Zebo thing, no doubt. And um, it'll be very interesting to hear what he says about it. And probably, he'll probably try and push that back until the time actually comes. Um, and I, I would be picking Zebo for the Six Nations in particular with an eye of hopefully keeping him on, in place for the World Cup. Because as you said, that the X or the Z factor that he brings to the thing is something that uh, Irish squads have been lacking at the last few World Cups um, when they needed just that little bit of X factor to get through and make it 20 yards. You take the New Zealand game in Chicago, for example, where we're under the cart, Zebo got the ball, kicked it up, we came down with snow, he caught it. Ball Absolutely, was the yeah. There was a try at the end of it. And I think, I think playing in France will improve him because I think he's going to enjoy the the limelight of French rugby and because French the, the intensity there is it's very, like the games are so the games are big the games are important and I think he's going to no disrespect to the Pro 14 at the moment but you're consistently playing absolutely I mean, week, I mean week in week out you can only improve from that I mean the fact that there's no there's no there's no absolutely dominant team in in the French rugby at the moment absolutely. you can't say any team is going to you can't say with any certainty that any team is going to win the win the championship over there. I mean, La Rochelle were the Rochelle, top team last yeah. year, and I don't think a lot of people would have picked them to be top of the pile. No, if, if, if eighteen months ago. No, uh, Steve. Cheers for that. Um, I'd like to thank all our guests actually on today's uh, Paper Talk Extra. We had uh, Peter McNamara, Rob McNamara, and Steen Level. Uh, thank you for listening, and we'll let you go. And you can tune in again next week to us on Paper Talk Extra. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.